With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line is my co-host Curtis. And holy freaking hell, guys, we are going to the college football playoff. Just let that sink in for a second if it hasn't already. And what a night it was in Atlanta last night. We all know what went down there, and we're going to be breaking all that down here momentarily. But first, just a couple quick reminders for you guys. You can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJ. Love to get your guys' thoughts on everything that's going on around the program and the recruiting world. You can also email us. That's GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you're newer to the show, kind of checking in here late in the season, you guys can find the show on a bunch of different platforms out there. Obviously, you came across us somewhere, but we're on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and TuneIn apps are also on dogsportsradio.com, part of the V-Sport-O Internet Radio Network. You can also download the Dog Sports Radio app to your smartphone. So check us out one of those places there. But, Kurt, man, dude, let's just go ahead and get into this. The fr- we're gonna st- We have a lot to talk about here, man. It's a lot, a lot of layers this kind of peel back. But let's just start with a simple question here. What would have, if I would have asked you in our preview show, if I would have told you, I guess if I would have told you in our preview show right before the season started that I was predicting us to go to the college football playoff, what would your reaction have been if I would have said that from day one at the start of the season? I would have told you that is not completely out of the park. That um, I would just would have said not yet. I mean, you and I both. We actually going back. If you guys go back and listen to that initial preview show right before the season kicked off, you and I both had us going ten and two, winning the SEC East. And we said there was an outside shot maybe at 11-1 and one if everything kind of fell our way and things kind of fell into place. Guys started to step up. Guys took the steps they needed to take, like Trent Thompson, Lorenzo Carter, Roquan took another step. And a lot of those things happened. So we did end up going 11-1. We did not call that exactly. We predicted 10-2. and two. We said 11-1 and one was, a, was an outside possibility if things kind of fell into place. And those things did fall into place. But and, and we didn't predict us to win the SEC title. We had Alabama winning that game. Both of us did. But... If you go back and listen to that show, we said, I'm not going to completely count us out there. And we, dude, we absolutely 100% did this. I I can't sit here and say that I was expecting this. I thought we'd, like I said, I thought we'd have an outside shot if if everything went right. But no way was I going to absolutely put my neck on the line there and say, yes, we're going to the college football playoffs. So to be here right now in year two of the Kirby Smart era after a 7-5 regular season in year one, it's just... It's it's incredible. Number one, after I mean, think about all the things we've had to suffer suffer through the past couple of years following this program. Even go just look at last year. You know, last year we, we lose to Vanderbilt at home on homecoming. We fought, that's and that followed up the hail mary with Tennessee. You blow a thirteen point lead against Georgia Tech. All the the misery that we suffered in Jacksonville for years and years and years to finally get this. I, I truly. I know it's kind of a cliche to say this, but it's hard for me to put this into words. I was just kind of sitting there when I got home last night and just sitting there thinking like, dude, like all the stuff that we've gone through, all the tough times, all this, the pain, the suffering. And, it, and we haven't ever been a train wreck, but just the always falling short. 
and then to have this happen, and we got, we still got two more games to go, man. But just to be in this position, I, I can't sit here and say with a straight face that I predicted this to happen. I thought there was a chance, but uh, man, I just whatever. It's awesome to be here. But let's go ahead and talk about the game itself, Kurt. All right, I think now there are there are a ton of plays that that we had to make in that game that were that were all important. But I think for me at least, and tell me if I'm missing something here, I think there were probably three huge plays in this game that stood out to me more than the others, okay? And number one, I've got the sack fumble by Davin Bellamy. When uh, when Auburn was driving, it was third down, I think it was third and six. They were at our 14-yard line with 13 minutes to go in the second quarter. If, and right now, right then with Daniel Carlson, probably the best kicker in the country, it looked like they were at least going to go up 10 nothing there, right? Uh, and then you, that was, so that's one play, that sack fumble recovery there. And then the next play would be the blocked field goal attempt. It was by Daquan Hawkins-Muckle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that blocked field goal attempt with 8-13 to go in the third quarter, that would have tied the game at 10. And again, this is Daniel Carlson. He wasn't going to miss unless it was blocked. I think he's had three kicks blocked this year. I don't know if he's missed one other than those three blocks. Um, and then the third play would obviously be towards the end of the game there, the, the Lorenzo Carter strip and then Roquan Smith fumble recovery. When they were kind of driving there, we were up 13-7. It was right, I think it was at the 47 yard line, right about midfield with 14 minutes, 49 seconds to go in the game. So, Kurt, those three plays were huge, in my opinion. Am I, is there another play that I'm missing there? Um, no, not really. I mean, those were the ones that really changed the momentum. You know, if I had to put yeah, them in it, order, I'd Yeah, if you had to pick them. one, which one would you say out of those three? They're all huge. Which one's the biggest play in that game? Um, yeah, I think you definitely have to go with the Daffin Bellamy strip sack because we came out, even offensively, we were a little discombobulated. We, we were playing kind of like how we had when we first played Auburn. But once we did that, I don't know, it's like our team, everyone got a, just a jump in momentum, a jump in energy. I think we, and then we, and not only that, but we get the trip sack and we could have gone three down, things like that. We get the big third down conversion on the pass to Nicole. And after that, we started, you know, attacking them. Yeah. We went we to Nicole again. That, we went the read option, uh, pass to him down the middle. Once we started doing that, our offense really started to get some momentum. And I think not only that, but, um, Fromm got a lot of confidence, but the one, the group that I think got the most confidence was our offensive line because that was the drive where they really started to block. They started to, I don't want to say impose our will, but we started to, we started to. We didn't give up any sacks after that, at that point. Yeah, they played, uh, they were were a different unit after that point. Yeah, we were giving our quarterback time to throw and we were making holes for the running backs. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And that's actually, you know, if I was, I think all three of those plays are huge. And I don't know if you. If there's a wrong answer here or a correct answer, I, I can go. I can make an argument for any of those three plays. But I'm with you. If I had to pick one, this is just me. I think the the strip sack there by by Bellamy was gigantic. They're already up seven nothing, right? We were like you said, we were kind of sputtering offensively. Then they're coming down here, driving again on our 14 yard line. At least this looks like it's going to be 10 nothing. It could be 14 nothing there. And if that happens, I think it would have. If they, even if they go up t- only 10 nothing there, I think that would have kind of generated the. Oh God, here we go again, kind of mentality. You know what I mean? We'd be playing from behind, trying to throw with two at that point. Right? Yeah, and it takes us completely out of our game plan early in the game, and then we kind of everyone. We all know what happened a couple weeks ago in Auburn, Alabama. The team knows that, and that the doubt kind of creeps in their heads, like, Oh God, maybe it's just going to happen again. And so that snowball effect kind of happens again, like it did in Auburn. But I think that strip sack completely changed. The attitude, not just in the team, but in that crowd, guys. I'm telling you, I'll be honest, all right? When they were driving there, about to go up at least 10 nothing to go up two scores there, my head was in my hands. I was rubbing my forehead, just huffing and puffing, just sighing, just like shaking my head, just freaking out there. 
because I, I was I, I was just seeing I was like oh god here we go again I was almost already there and that's just kind of how I am I, I just I always I guess I expect the worst so I was freaking out but then when that happened all of a sudden not just my attitude changed everyone around me everyone got in that not that we weren't into it still, but it, we took it to another level. I think the whole Georgia crowd in that stadium absolutely 100% did. And we kind of kept that going throughout the game. So we got the team into this, got the crowd into it, and we kind of just rode that momentum the rest of the game. Uh, and then uh, to, to follow it up, that kind of makes that play even more important. Not only do we get the stop there, right? But like you said, we followed up with a touchdown, right? Yeah, because we could have done that and not gotten any points out of it. And it would have been big, but just to keep points off the board. But at that point, we tied the game. We uh, yeah. put together a, a complete drive, dip, uh, you know, separate from the very first drive last time we played. And what a great drive. It was the big third down conversion, like you mentioned, to Nicole there. And honestly, I just, again, I cannot overstate how much the sacks, the, the strip sack there, and then following up with a touchdown, I cannot overstate how dramatically that turned the mentality, the attitude, the feeling in that game in the stadium. I think from that point on, even though we were only tied 7-7 from that point, I think our team believed we had the momentum, and we just rode that wave throughout the rest of the game. Kind of like Auburn rode the wave of momentum they got against us when they played us at home the first time around. This time, we had that momentum. And I would say the crowd there, I mean, I suck at estimating, uh, but I'd say it was at least 60-40 Georgia. I, I'm not... well, here, here's one thing that people don't talk about. Um, you know, we were only up 10-7 at the half, but if you talk to the people that were close to the field, they said our guys were running into the, you know, running into the tunnel with some energy. They said no Auburn was dead silent, just walking to the locker room. They yeah. had no, that they were just dead. I mean, dead silent. And that's like we said. I mean, that when we said when you know, like we said, we or you said we weren't exactly killing them, but it, it seemed like we were with the amount of momentum and energy we had. Yeah, it was just the attitude, the, the feeling in the stadium was just it was different from that point on. So I think that was definitely the biggest play. Then if you had to look at the next two, the block field goal attempt by DeQuan Hawkins Muckle there that would have tied it at ten. Kept us in the lead there. And then also the Lorenzo strip, Roquan fumble recovery uh, when we were up 13-7 right at the start of the fourth quarter. We get that fumble, and then we turn that into to a touchdown on the next drive there. So of those two, what would you say was the next biggest play in the game? To me, i got to go with Lorenzo because if they tie the game, they tie the game. But on that drive, they could have easily uh, – Taken the lead. Yeah, they could have taken the they lead. They were driving. They were driving. It was almost yeah, midfield. That, that would have changed the game. They were going to get some energy. They were driving. Like you, like you said, you know that gives them a chance to lead. You know, um, and that that right there changes everything completely. So that's why I want to go with that one because in that point too, it gave us the ball on a short field. It was yeah, it gave us on a short field, and then we just we again we capitalized. And we, in. we got fifteen points off turnovers. Absolutely, we did. Different. And if you look at that sequence there, so right before the the, the Lorenzo strip, Roquan fumble recovery there with fourteen forty nine to go in the fourth quarter, we kicked a field goal right to go up thirteen seven. Then they we forced the fumble, and then we follow that up with a touchdown. So in three consecutive drives there, we go field goal, forced fumble, touchdown, and that, my friends, is all she wrote. That was it. And I know, I guess you could say the the exclamation point was the DeAndre Swift. But honestly, I think when we went up twenty to seven. Uh, I, technically, they were, I guess, still mathematically in the game, but they were. They I guess they were in twenty-one seven. We got the two-point conversion, but they, they they weren't coming back after that. They weren't because that stadium was bananas after that point. The team was jacked up. It was crazy. There was no way they were going to come back and win that game. There was just no way. No way it was going to happen. Uh, all right, I want to talk about this game in comparison to Game One. All right, 
obviously, we all, I don't want to relive this too much. We all know what happened the first game. Now we know what happened the second game when it really counted. But this was a complete reversal of fortunes. Complete reversal of, of fortunes. If you go to the first game, in game one, we had 230 total yards. Auburn had 488 total yards. Game two, we had 421. They had 259. Game one, we had 46 rushing yards. Auburn had 237. Game two, we had 238. They had 114. Uh, doubled them up there. Uh, game one, passing yards, we had 184. Auburn had 251. Game two, we had basically the same number of passing yards. We were just way, way more efficient. We threw because we wanted to, not because we had to in the second game. That was the difference there. Uh, but we had 183 yards passing in the second. They had only had 145. First game, we had 3.7 yards per play. They had 6.8. In the second game last night, uh, we finished with 6.3 yards per play, and they finished with 4.1 yards per play. So just some numbers there to kind of illustrate how dramatic this reversal of fortunes was from the first matchup in Jordan-Hare to the second matchup in Mercedes-Benz Stadium last night. Kurt. So I guess the big question here for you, and there's a couple factors I think that I play here. How were we able to turn the tables so dramatically in this rematch? I mean, it's as simple as controlling the line of scrimmage. Now, I want to point something out. When we're going through all these numbers, this is what we did yesterday was more typical of what we've done to Auburn in the past. Other than what they did to us at Jordan-Hare uh, three weeks ago, this was the fourth time out of the last five times we played them that they score on their first opening drive and then are held scoreless the rest right. of the game. It's unbelievable, man. And, that, and yeah. I think it really comes down to, like I said, we control the line of scrimmage. That was the real difference. I mean, yeah, and how does that happen? I mean, that's that's a, we we did we control the line of scrimmage on really both sides of, of the ball. So and we got so thoroughly dominated on the lines of scrimmage the first game, and that's what that was all the talk leading up to this game, including on here. That was our big question: is like, well, if we got dominated so badly up front three weeks ago, how can we expect that to change here three weeks later? And a lot of people were saying, well, the, the, it's just a bad match over Georgia. There's no way they can handle it. So how are we able to to change that in three weeks' time? The biggest thing is I think I'm not 100% sure if I don't know it that well, but I'm pretty sure we changed up some uh, combo block. We went to a more of a combo uh, zone block in the scheme. Yeah, well, I think we, we did a good job mixing it up. There, there were, and not, uh, only, not only that, but i got to say Big Ben was a huge difference maker this time. He was, man. He was throwing people around. There, there was the rug blocking, um, some of those combo or, uh you know, doubles or yeah. Um, when he was comboing up to the to the second level, yeah, yeah. With him, him and Thomas, and then him and Gilliard together, both times he was involved, and we were getting some big push from that. Yeah, Ben for for the most part, all game long, he was a he was a force in that game. Like just getting tons of movement, we did not get in the first time, the first game with Solomon Kinley there, and he wasn't perfect. There was one play in particular that kind of just I I wanted to just I was banging my head against the railing there. When uh, we had on, we had the first and goal from the inch line, right? And we go in shotgun there, and the set, second, it, second down was it second down? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, so it was, down, yeah, yeah, it was second, it was second down because I was screaming the stands when we lined up. I was like, sneak it three times, get in our center and quarterback sneak three times from the inch line. Now, There's no need to line up. Especially now that teams change to go into shotgun for more often. Drives me crazy. When you get to the Drives me crazy. I, and I, I know we did that because we were going tempo there. We were trying to catch them off guard. We are going what got us there. But when you get to the inch line, just go under center, sneak it three times. If you can't get it in from the inch line with three quarterback sneaks, then then you, you don't deserve to score. I, I, it's as simple as that. But on that play uh, where it was on the inch line, it's the second down, I mean, this is the only time I really saw him get beat, but Cleveland got blown up in that on that play. 
they, the guy just got, I forget exactly who it was, maybe, ah, maybe it was Dontavious Russell, but whoever it was got under his pads and just blew him up into the backfield and, and blew that play up and, and put us behind the chains there. Uh, but, that, out, but outside of that, you're exactly right. Ben was a huge difference in this game, getting a lot of movement. Uh, but what about the defensive side of the ball? With our defensive line, we – I don't think our defensive line got dominated as thoroughly as our offensive line did in the first matchup, but they, they were able to run the ball very well against us in, in the first game. So what were we able to do defensively this time around to well, kind of handle we it? Came with, we came with some better blitzes. I think also our guys did a better job of holding the edge. I mean, we took away their yeah. uh, their tunnel screen game, which, you know, and then not only that, but when we blitz, uh, a lot of times, you saw it, it happened a couple times, uh, but – for a majority of the time, we were keeping Stidham in the pocket with our blitz pack. I think there were two, maybe three times at the top of my head where he hurt us there. Yeah, at the end of the third quarter where but that's yeah, but that's that's what happens. You know that that that's the price you pay when you want to pressure the quarterback and get after him like that. Occasionally, he's going to he's going to break contain, and you're you're going to get too aggressive, and you're going to create rushing lanes. He's going to break one for a couple for fifteen twenty yards. And that's fine. It happens, but for the most part. The way we played aggressively on defense, blitzing, bringing pressure, that worked That worked to our advantage much more than it hurt us with, with, with two or three times when he was able to kind of break contain there. But I think you're definitely right. We attacked the uh, – uh, we were able to attack them offensively. We kind of brought the fight to them. Does that make sense? And, yeah, we, we were really aggressive. Not only that, our, so we get carry on wasn't healthy. But to be honest, the one person we wanted to take out of the game was Stidham. And, you know, he was throwing some high percentage passes to start the game. But after really the first quarter and a half, he was very average. I mean, he like especially the way he ended the game, um, we were we kept we got him out of his comfort zone. I think yeah, we definitely got him out of his comfort zone. I think that his comfort zone is being able to throw off play Ash with a strong rushing attack. I think the biggest difference in this game uh, Saturday night in the SEC title game versus the first matchup in, in Jordan Hare was that we effectively stopped the Auburn rushing attack. And as a result, we stopped their offense because, when, like we talked about in the preview show, this offense for Auburn, even though it looks spread and crazy out there and a lot of different formations, they do a lot of funky stuff, this at its core is a power rushing attack. Everything comes off of them establishing the run. If they don't establish the run, they cannot throw the football effectively. They are not a great drop back passing team. They are a team that throws really well off play action when you have to commit extra bodies to the to the run and they get a lot of man coverage out there. When we were able to slow down the rushing attack, it effectively stopped their offense. And to me, that's why Stim didn't have as much success. We threw for 251. They were incredibly balanced in that first matchup. 237 on the ground, 251 through the air. This matchup, 114 yards to the ground, all right? Uh, half the total from the first time around. And then, not surprisingly, in my mind, only 145 yards passing. Because if they don't get that running game going, they are not an effective passing offense. It's as simple as that. It really is. So I think stopping the Auburn rushing attack was huge for us. And I know Carrion Johnson being hurt was a big part of that. But look, those other guys are on scholarship too, man. Cam Martin was a was a big time four star recruit as well. And they don't have. I mean, look at us. Sony goes down. Our third string guy breaks. Yeah, and, and, yeah. I, and I was hearing some Auburn fans talking. You know, coming back, riding Marty coming back from the game. Well, if Carrion hadn't gotten hurt, you know, it would have been a different story, dude. Hey, guess what? Our starting quarterback got hurt in the first game of the year. All right. And we didn't cry about it. It's called depth. It's called recruiting and actually building a roster. You're right. Sonny Michelle, who, who, like you and I said, right now I think is, is our best running back. But he gets hurt. Oh, that's right. We have other guys. We've got DeAndre Swift. We've got Brian Heron. We've got Elijah Holyfield. We've got Nick Chubb. We have plenty of depth. So I'm sorry that you don't have enough guys on your roster to make up for an injury. This is football. It happens. I don't want to hear any whining. Again, like I said, our starting quarterback got hurt in the first game of the year, and we had to play with – I know he's the starter now, but he was the backup coming this season. All right, so let, don't talk to me about injuries. I don't want to hear that crap. All right, I just don't want to hear it. Don't want to. 
but I think so again, stopping the run was a huge part of that. And I know him not being there was big, but we still had to execute better, right? I mean, that, let's be real. This defensive line played lights out. We did. Yeah, they did. They got a lot of pressure. They played their they played their uh, assignments really well. Um, you know, Bellamy and Carter, not that you know, they made the big plays for the turnovers. But not only that, I felt like they did a really good job. They set the, the edge. edge. They set the edge. And yes, guys, I know that Auburn in the first matchup, they were run the ball almost everywhere. They were run up the middle. They were run around the edges. I know they hurt us in a lot of ways. But there was too many times that they got on the edge in that first match. And when plays that weren't even designed to go on the edge, where on Johnson just bounced them out and made plays like he does. That's what he does. That's why I couldn't figure out why we were doing that because that's what on Johnson does. Did we not watch film on him? Uh, but in the second go-around here last night, we did a much better job of staying home, playing with proper leverage, playing with integrity, and just doing your job and not getting sucked in and not allowing whoever it was, whether it was on Johnson, whether it was Cam Martin, whoever it was, we did a good job of not allowing them to consistently get to the edges like they did in the first matchup. And that took a big part of their running game away. So I think that's a huge thing that we did there, no doubt about it. Uh, I think another big factor in this game is we simply did not make catastrophic mistakes. Now, did we play perfectly? No. We had a we had plenty of uh, of sloppy plays up there. We, you guys all saw the penalties. You saw what was going on there. Uh, now, well, don't get me started on the rest. Now, a lot of those penalties, I don't think were actually penalties, but there were some things that we did that you know that we should have been doing. It was a little sloppy play, but we we weren't perfect. But we did not make the catastrophic mistakes. You did not get a stop like we did in the first game. Get a stop to open the second half when you're still in the game, and then immediately fumble or muff the, the punt return, which gives them a, a short field and gives up another touchdown and then a snowball effect. We didn't have those catastrophic mistakes. And then on top of that, like we kind of talked about earlier, we hit our opportunities when they were there. We had, like Kurt said, 15 points after, off of turnovers. When we got those turnovers, we made them count. And against the number two team in the country, that's how you win football games. That's why I was kind of banging my head against the railing there when we had the ball on the inch line on second down and didn't punch it in for a touchdown, I was very, very fearful that would come back and, and bite us. But we, we kept we kept fighting, we kept playing, and uh, we didn't we, we didn't allow that to, to dictate what happened in this game. But outside of that play, for the most part, when we had opportunities, when they presented themselves, we made those plays. So uh, just just an all around great effort. One last thing I want to mention, Curtis, and you you know I was talking about this in the in the preview show. I felt that we had to be more balanced with our play calling in terms of throwing the football on first and second down. I did the math for you guys against Auburn in the first half before the games got out of hand. We only threw the ball 21% of the time on first and second down, right? Ran the ball 79% of the time. Did the same thing against Georgia Tech, but it worked against Georgia Tech because we were just physically more dominant than they are. That was not the case with Auburn. We're going to have to throw the ball more on first down. So, again, you guys know I always say this, but it's true. You can check my math. My math sucks, but I, I did this a couple times just to make sure we threw, I count up before the last two drives there where we were kind of just kind of salt the clock away when we were really trying to go and score points. We had 39 first and second down opportunities. By my calculations, we threw the ball 15 of out of those 39 plays there. So that comes out, again, my math sucks, but I think that's 38% of the time there. And if you break it down by first down, we threw the ball eight times on first down. And we were seven of eight on those first down throwing opportunities for 104 yards and a touchdown. So I thought it was huge that Jim Cheney did that because not only did that help the passing game, but also made the running game more effective because it keeps Auburn off balance. In the first game, we were not able to keep them off balance. For the most part, they knew we were going to run the ball on first down, run the ball on second down. If we get in third down, 
we're going to throw the football. Now, we had a few situations where we threw the ball in first down the first matchup, and we had the plays were there. We had a play uh, that we completed, a 26-yard gain to Terry Godwin. We, we all know that Riley Ridley play that was there, that Fromm just kind of missed him on, barely missed him, but missed him. That was the first down call. So just kind of opening up the playbook on early downs, I think, was a huge part of this game, not only helping us get chunk plays in the passing game, but also helping the running game kind of get into a rhythm there and keep the Auburn defense off balance. They, they weren't off balance the first matchup. They kind of knew what we were going to do, and we played exactly in their hands. This time, we did not play into their hands. We threw in this game because we wanted to, not because we had to. It wasn't like we were, it was downfield throws also. We, we utilized the screen game. We utilized the, utilized the running back on the backfield on multiple swing passes. We were it, we were actually mixing it up and not being an only an intermediate or a downfield passing attack. We used different passing methods, which is what I think also helped us. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't think we really took a huge shot down the field. I know we wanted to on that flea flicker, but it wasn't there. But we also, like you said, he, he did a great job taking the read down. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, I actually, like I said, one play I loved is we we stole a play from Auburn. Oh yeah, the special teams. You know, the run, the, where we do the where we fake to the running back coming around, then we fake the end around. Oh yeah, yep. sitting there throwing the ball, and he end, ends up throwing it to me, Cole, in the the uh, flats, and he gets like close to first down, which is what Auburn used to usually oh, always absolutely. does. That yeah, play. yeah, absolutely. Well, Cheney said before, or Kirby has said of Cheney that he's not a hey, when we're watching tape on teams. We see things we like, and we try to incorporate yeah, to our Kirby offense. Kirby said it's a game of plagiarizing. That is, that that's exactly right. That's every you you take what you see that you think works, and then you kind of put your own little twist on it. Absolutely, that's how things happen. That's that's how this game evolves. So I think that's a great point. Or absolutely, a hundred percent there. But so there's a couple reasons I think we're more balanced play calling, especially on early downs. We we attack the edges in the run game. Uh, which we didn't do a great job of in the first I time. I our blocking on the edge was really well, too. I mean, half the yeah. time they knew we were coming with those sweeps, but we were still getting five, four or five yards because our line and our uh, was doing really well. And I want to give a shout-out to Elijah Holyfield. I thought the guy was doing pretty well blocking for a fullback. I thought he did a great job. The guy's a physical player, man. He, he, he's, a, he's a dude that just wants to go hit somebody. I love I, I love what I've seen Elijah Holyfield, whether he's running the football, blocking like he did yesterday. I love what I've seen from that guy. Yeah, to me, I mean, that's the epitome of a team player. I mean, the guy's a running back, but he, he moves into more of a, the fullback position. And I thought he played really well. And I think, I mean, later in the year, if he plays out again, we could be setting up some plays with him. Well, I keep waiting. I keep, Every game I say, because you know what? I call it our, our our blocking formation. It's it's almost it's, so far this year it's been almost 100 percent run. When, when we bring Trey Blunt, Jason Stanley into the game, we're running the football, right? 100. When, when we bring them in at the wide receiver position, they're cracking on somebody. We are those are the guys that we're bringing in as designated blockers. And then you, and then this week we added Elijah Holyfield in the mix there on those tall sweeps. So we, we bring we put Holyfield at fullback. You bring Stanley in to crack. You bring Blunt in. We are running the football so far this year. I don't. I, I have not seen this, and I, I rewatch every game multiple times. I cannot remember one instance where we've thrown the football out of those looks. It's coming, guys. I'm telling you, at some point, it's going to happen. We are going to go play action off that, and we're going to throw the football to one of those guys. If it doesn't happen, I'll be surprised. I think and we might see it here against Oklahoma because we have set that up all year long. And I imagine it's got to be in the playbook somewhere. We're just waiting for the right time to pull it out. I thought we might pull it out against Auburn. We, we, we ran that formation a couple times. Boom, boom, boom. Toss sweep on the edges there. And I was waiting for us to pull it out against Auburn. I guess we just didn't have to. Uh, but I bet you it's in the playbook. I would not be shocked to see us pull that out against Oklahoma down, out there in Pasadena, which we'll get to here a little bit later in the show. Don't worry. We're definitely not going to be ignoring that. But uh, yeah, so more balanced play calling, attacking the edges in the run game, which is something we didn't do to great effect in the first game. 
didn't make those cash driving mistakes. We hit the opportunities when they were there, kind of capitalizing on those turnovers. We stopped the Auburn rushing attack. And like I said, as a result, I think that effectively stopped their offense. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go through, like we did last show, we got some good feedback from this. So I want to run through the positions here real quick. We don't want to spend a ton of time on each position, but just kind of talk about the performance of some of the guys in each of these positions. And we're going to start on offense with the quarterback position. What do you make of Jake Fromm's performance? Um, I thought he did pretty well. You know, we talked, we were a little hard on him in the Auburn game, um, or the first Auburn game. I think the difference this time was Fromm has de- did what he's been doing all season. The, t- the difference was we gave him a, more of a clean pocket because to start the game, when they were getting pressure, he was not looking very good. Um, I mean, he completed a strike to me cold. Well, who looks going under beat. pressure? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the first two drives or so, I mean, we, he was. He, I mean, he, he completed a pass or two, but he wasn't doing anything really special because we weren't giving a pocket. But once the offensive line and we changed up our blocking attacks a little bit, we we're using tight ends to stay in there and protect a little bit. But overall, once we started doing that, it gave him the opportunity to do what he's been doing all season, and that's you know be very accurate and throw some and throw very catchable balls. And by the way, his. Yards per pass, 8.3 yards per pass. We didn't take a ton of deep shots, but he, we were getting chunks when we threw the ball for the most part there. Now, he did take some checkdowns. But by taking the checkdowns, we, we got some big plays out of that. Uh, I thought Jake Fromm played outstanding. There was one throw he missed was the – we were running the football late. You know, we're kind of just oh, trying to yeah, solve the, the game. That's not a throw. He, that's like, a, that's like a, a baseball player aiming a ball. That, that's exactly what I said to my wife in the stands. I said he tried to aim it. Instead of just throwing the football and just and just slinging it out there like he normally would on any other given play, he just tried so hard to not miss him. He just aimed it, kind of pushed it, and 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 just and just missed him. But and that, but that was the only throw, honestly, in the entire game. I think he missed, and that could have been a huge play. That, I mean, I don't know if Nardo would have scored, but he had a lot of uh, that was a first down. Yeah, it was we, definitely we, a first down. Luckily, we got the uh, substitution. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, we got the substitution there. That was all. I mean, that allowed us to completely soft the game away. I mean, we still would have won the game regardless, but that was a huge play there that that he had. And, and Fromm's going to make that throw 9 out of 10 times. Probably 9.9 out of 10 times is what I saw my wife in the stands. But he tried to – it's funny you said he tried to aim. That's exactly the terminology I used. He tried to aim it there. And uh, if, you, if you guys used to play baseball back in the day, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and just and just didn't quite get it to him there. But that was it. that was it. Other than that, he was in command. He was in control. He didn't make he made inc- he made great decisions like he's been doing all year. Uh, and he hasn't been perfect, but for the vast majority of the year, he's been making great decisions, and he, that was on display I, in full, I'm again. Say to me, the best decision he made all night was that pull and throw to me, Cole. I think that was the on best the play flicker all night. No, the uh, on the read option where on the oh where, yeah oh that one that one okay yeah 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 okay I got yeah, you. Yeah, to me, you. I think that's the best decision he made all night for that that pull and to hit him for the forty yard completion. I think that was our best play huge. for him. It was huge, man. It was it was absolutely huge. He and, just, he, and he made the timely decisions, like when he just finally. You know, when he decided to pull the ball in the read option, he gets a 17-yard run. He he made the timely, correct decisions. And he does a great job. I know I mentioned this before, but I saw it on display again a couple of times yesterday. Because Auburn, especially in the game, they were getting pressure on him. He does a great job of very subtly sliding in the pocket. He manipulates the pocket very, very well to kind of create some throwing lanes for himself and to give himself just another split second of time for the receiver to get open. On that third down pass on the drive that we scored our first touchdown on, that third down pass to Nicole. That I think he might have gotten sacked if he did not have this subtle slide to the left. There's a couple quick steps to give Miko a chance to get open to, to buy himself another second there in the pocket and deliver the ball on time and on target. So I I, I just love what I've seen from that guy, man. He's and he's only going to get better from here. He's not perfect. Um, he's still. I mean, I guess yes, he is a true freshman. He's been playing a lot. So I don't. Know, would you still call him a true freshman? At this point, I, mean, I guess technically he is, but he's played a lot of football, man. Yeah, at this mean, point. to me, he's a frost at this point. Yeah, yeah, true, true. 
Uh, so, I mean, you can't say enough about the guy. I love it. And it was funny. I know if you, I'm sure you saw this on Twitter. Some of you guys saw this on social media. Uh, there was a, a, a tw- I guess it was a, a conversation, a texting conversation making the rounds between him, him and his mom. Where's mom? I guess she always gives him advice before the games. And so she texts him. I don't really have much for you today, Jake, for, before this game. But all I'm going to say is just make sure you slide and protect the football or something like that. And he goes, uh, no sliding. Thanks, mom. And there was that that one he pulled right. That the, there was one read option where he just where he pulled. We don't know if he was reading anybody or if, he, or if it was just a, a called quarterback pull there. But the one he pulled, I think it was like a twenty-two yard gain. Maybe did he slide? He did not slide. He he went he went, he went for it there and uh, and try to get as many yards as he possibly could. I, just, I, I found a little bit of humor in that that he said that to his mom. And then sure enough, when he got a chance to run it, man, he did not slide. Uh, before we move on, I, I, real quickly here, I know he didn't play. All right. But I just I also want to throw some props to Jacob Eason here real quick. Guy did not play. Uh, he was interviewed for the first time after the game for the first time since the beginning of the season, right? Since before the the first game, and he just he said all the right things. He he, he didn't pout, didn't sulk. He was celebrating with his teammates. Said how proud he was of of, of Jacob of Jake Fromm. Uh, and just glad that we won the SEC championship, and we all know there's a very good likelihood that he's going to be gone next year. But I just I want to applaud Jacob Eason for the way he's handled the situation with maturity and class, uh, and just been a hundred percent a team player, and just somebody I, I, I even though he, he is likely going to end up somewhere somewhere else, I'll consider him a damn good dog uh, for the rest of the days, man. I mean, the time he's been here, he he hasn't done anything wrong. The situation that's transpired is not his fault. We all know that we've said that before, but I also just you know hearing that interview. I just wanted to kind of to give him some props there for the way he's handled this situation. It's got to be tough. I mean, can you imagine that, Kurt? I mean, seriously, can you? Yeah, ma- I mean, that's, this is spo- this was supposed to be him. Yeah. And and to, and to handle it the way I mean, honestly, I don't think I could have handled it that well. I don't know. I mean, I would like to say I I would handle it that well, but I, I don't I don't know if I can say here with a straight face say a hundred percent I would have handled it as well and as maturely and as much class as Jacob Beeson has handled it. So I just want to give some major props to him. And I if if he stays here and can fight for the job. That's awesome. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but if he does, dude, that's incredible. I'd love for him to stay. But it, but if he does and he transfers somewhere else, I, I wish him the absolute best of luck. There's just no doubt about that. No doubt. Good dude. All right, let's move. On. We talked a little bit about the offensive line. Uh, we talked about uh, Ben Cleveland there for a second. What did you What do you think of the offensive line as a whole? I thought they did really well. Um, I think the biggest thing was uh, once we cleaned up our blocking, I think they were doing a real job, good job of taking the fights to them and giving our guys. I mean, most of the time when our guys were running, they weren't getting hit at the line of scrimmage like they did last time. Yeah, I, th- I think we get, we did a much better job of getting movement in this game. And, and early in the game, were we getting that movement? No. We weren't the first couple of drives there. But as the game, uh, the momentum kind of turned there for that sack fumble, all of a sudden our guys started to play with a little more energy. We started to get a little more movement. And as the game wore on, we kept moving them more and more and more. Uh, and and we I don't want to say that we flat out controlled the line of scrimmage, but I'll say this. They didn't control the line of scrimmage, which was a huge turnaround from the first matchup. And there were there were moments where we did control the line of scrimmage. We were pancaking guys on that DeAndre Swift touchdown run, which was a great run by him, a great vision there, kind of uh, setting up to the outside and then planting that foot and cutting up and then with the speed to burn there. Uh, I don't know if everybody saw this. Lamont Gilliard had a massive pancake on that play. A oh, yeah, yeah, massive yeah. pancake, a huge, and, and and on the on the left side of the line there, Isaiah uh, Isaiah Wynn and Kendall Baker both d- d- completely dominated their guys. Uh, kind of having a, a setup step there to kind of invite them upfield, and the, but they handled those guys. And Gilliard just had an absolute massive pancake block that cleared the way. I mean, that was a huge hole. And give Swift credit; 
he had the vision there and, and kind of set him up to the outside and then had the plant step, cut up field, and, and took it the distance. But the offensive line, that was huge in that play. You mentioned Ben Cleveland did a really good job. Uh, and it was, it was a huge difference in this game. I really believe that. The movement he was able to get for the most part of this game. Uh, and then on the on the right side there, right tackle, Andrew Thomas, he got embarrassed a couple of times in that first matchup, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Holland just ate his lunch a couple of times, especially in the first half there. Uh, but the second time around, he handled him. I mean, he, he absolutely held his own. Now, I will say our coach did a really good job of giving him some help. We had some chip blocks there, tight end stand for a second and give him a chip, running backs give him a chip. Uh, but you know what? He did, We did not allow Jeff Holland to terrorize us like he did the first time around. We didn't allow Marlon Davidson to terrorize us like some of those guys did the first time around. And So I really want to give Andrew Thomas some props there as well. Um, he's still got a lot of room to grow, but he's going to be a really good player for us. I thought he played a lot better than he did that first time around. So offensive line all around, those guys deserve some major kudos for how they play. They're a big difference in this game. Uh, running back position, what needs to be said there, man? I mean, running yeah, back. I don't think you can really say enough. I mean, we all we all watch the game. We we know what we have at running back. I mean, these guys are lights out. Sonny Michelle, I thought was playing really well. That he gets he gets injured a little bit there, but then have no fear. Got DeAndre Swift there to kind of t- to handle some of that load, and got Holyfield coming in late. I love how we kind of bring Holyfield in as like the 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 finisher. You know what I mean? Like the Punisher at the end. Punisher slash finisher, just because he's so physical, just yeah, to pound teams. Broken, he just he just pounds them. Yeah, when they're broken, they're tired, and they're worn down. You bring in Holyfield, his fresh legs and his physical running style, and he just absolutely punishes them and finishes them off. So love how we're able to kind of mix and match those guys at running back there. Uh, what about the wide receivers? How do you think about their play? I want to give a huge shout out to Javon Williams. The guy does not catch a single ball, but he made some of the most key blocks of the night. That yeah. we. I mean that you can't say enough about him. The guy was a, the epitome of a team player. Like I said, no catches, but goes out there and makes block after block after block. I mean, uh, Swift doesn't make that run if Wims doesn't make that seal block. Absolutely, one hundred percent. He was on my list too for the exact same reason here. Because and think about it, this is the guy that's been coming on of late. He's he's bec- we talked about in the, in the previous show. He's been he's become a number one receiver right over the past couple of weeks. He's been getting some more uh, some more praise nationally as the guy who's he's kind of coming on for us. You're right, doesn't make a catch, but that is, he does not let that affect how he does his job, blocking out there in the perimeter and doing what the team needs him to do and what the team asks him to do. So major props to him. Nicole, man, we talked about him hey, a little Nicole, bit. I thought, yeah, Terry made a nice touchdown catch and the two-point conversion catch, but other than that, our best receiver was Nicole yesterday. And I, and I, like I said, I think that Nicole is going, is starting, we both have been saying the last couple weeks, he's starting to become the difference maker, though. This is why they moved him back to offense. Yeah, we're seeing it. And early, and there, there's been some growing pains. Let's, let's not, let's be real. There's been some growing pains. We all remember the, the, the drop, which should have been, in my opinion, a touchdown catch in Notre Dame, some early, some other drops early in the season, but he didn't hang his head. I'm sure it bothered him, but he, he went back to work and got better. So I'm, I'm just, I'm happy for us. Obviously, he's playing this way because this is what, this is the kind of player we all thought he could be for early in the season, or in the preseason at least. I'm just happy for this guy, man. This guy's got so much talent. Didn't really get to play much last year trying to play him at DB. Didn't really work out. Moving the offensive side of the ball. Doesn't have that much success early on. We all know how talented he is, but he kept working and working and working, and he's growing as a receiver. And again, you got to remember, this guy did not play receiver in high school. This is really his first full year playing receiver, and he's just getting better and better every week, and he's becoming more and more of a weapon as the season has gone on. So love him. Terry played really well, uh, went up and attacked the ball, kind of like what Wims has been doing on that touchdown catch and on the two-point conversion. Had a little stare down both times, man. Terry showed him. You know Auburn's got a history of trash talking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they recruited him real heavily, too, uh, coming out of high school. So there's, you know, there's a couple of layers of that. But, you know, we of course, they, they talk some trash. So he, he, 
They had a little stare down there. Let them know what happened. Uh, so, love that. But I thought the wide receivers played really well uh, in the passing game when they were called on. Weren't called on much, but when they were called on, they were there to make plays. And uh, in the blocking game, like they have all season guys. All of them. Terry, Javon, Miko, all these guys. Jason Stanley, Trey Blunt when they're coming. When they're asked to block, these guys are doing the job. All right, let's flip it over to the defense side of the ball here for a few minutes. Uh, let's start with the defensive line. This is another unit, kind of like the offensive line, that didn't have their best performance in the first matchup. But where it was a completely different looking unit in uh, in this SEC title game. So, Kerr, what do you make of their performance? Um, I think they played a solid game. Um, like I said, you know, they didn't try to do much. But all, one thing that's not getting talked about is I thought they did a good job of creating pressure themselves, driving the offensive line back. Um, they, I mean, it, I, I don't think enough can be said about how poor the officiating was and oh, how our, how much our defensive line was playing through. Not get, getting held on every I mean, single play. I mean, they I, were still creating pressure. I mean, holding happens on just about every play. You could feasibly call on every play, but it, it's usually called when it's obvious, right? Well, yeah, there were multiple times where we got pressure in the backfield, and we're, we're, when we were forcing him out of the pocket, actually, at least on one of the of the plays where he he was able to escape the pocket and ran for fifteen the or so yards. Clear. Uh, the end. The one at the end of the third quarter. Uh, Rochester's yeah. being held completely. Oh, I was screaming. I was like, he's holding Julian. I was screaming on the top of my lungs. Three or four times people looked at me like I was crazy. They were kind of in agreement, but I was the crazy person losing my mind. Uh, but he, it, over and over, and not once, not once. So they fought They they, they fought through. They were, play, they were playing 12 guys out there. Let's be real. Auburn, for most of the game, I feel like at least felt that way, that Auburn had 12 guys on the field uh, with the referees there. But uh, they played really well. They, they they were able to hold the line of scrimmage. Again, I don't think they necessarily dominated the Auburn offensive line, but they did not allow themselves to get dominated like they, like we did at times in the first in the first matchup. And we were in that backfield uh, yeah, all night long. Blitzes, but our guys were getting back there. Yeah, absolutely. I thought David Marshall played really well. Ledbetter played really well. Guys that kind of go unsung they don't get the big sack numbers. These guys are holding their gaps, playing responsibilities. Do what they're asked to do. Trent Thompson had a pretty solid game. Julian played well. I mean, all around the defensive line Tyler played Clark very well. Played well. Yeah, Tyler. Well, I mean, Tyler Clark's been playing well all, all year. I think he's probably been our most consistent defensive lineman all year. Guy's been a killer. Uh, so yeah, I thought they played really well. Uh, linebackers, man. Whew. Roquan Smith. That's all I'm gonna say. Roquan Smith. Yeah, you know, that's all you gotta say. I mean, Roquan Smith. Jesus. I mean, if he doesn't win every defense major defensive player award that he's up for. I mean, I've been saying all along, if he doesn't win All-American, it's a travesty. But if he doesn't win the Bernard and all these different awards he's up for, like, dude, it's a crime of the century. <laughs> the guy is unbelievable. They, they try to get him in one-on-one situations, right? That's what Gus does. He tries to get his his playmakers, his, his shifty running backs and receivers matched up one-on-one in space against linebackers, right? That's what he always does. Well, why don't they try that against us? You get Roquan Smith lined up one-on-one out in space, and what does Roquan do? He eats him alive. Eats him alive. He's, he's just unbelievable, man. I... I I, I can't say enough about the guy. I mean, and, and let's let's enjoy him these at least at least for one more game. Hopefully, two more. Let's just enjoy him while, while we have him. I guess the dude's gone. I, I don't see any way he comes back. Maybe I'm crazy, but I I don't see any way he comes back. Uh, what about the outside linebacker play here? Let's talk about that. For we kind of mentioned a little earlier. What did you see from Bellamy, Carter, Walker, and the like? I thought they did a real good job. I'm, I'm going to say something right now. Um, you know. When you do a show like this, you're never always going to be right, and that's okay. I think it's just important. I've said this before. I think you got to just acknowledge when you're wrong uh, and, and own it. And I'm going to own it here with Davin Bellamy. I need to apologize to Davin Bellamy. Now, I, I think everything I've said about Davin Bellamy over the past couple of weeks is justified. Would you agree? Yeah, because I mean, even Pollock said that you know they played well the first couple games and they disappeared, but he yeah. really showed up when we needed them most. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that over the past couple of weeks, really since the Florida game, I feel like Davin Bellamy 
hasn't played to the standard that he set for himself. I don't, I don't think he's played up to his capabilities. And I think a lot of it was well, not, not necessarily physical, just mental stuff, just not playing the proper leverage, things that he knows better than. And I, and I, I will I will stick with that and say that he was he was not playing well, but he absolutely showed up in a huge way. When it counted most on Saturday night, and that I mean, it was it, it was was it not eerily? I know it wasn't the end of the game. It didn't it didn't like finish the game like it against Notre Dame. But but when with the with the strip sack there at a critical moment in that game, was it not kind of at least somewhat reminiscent of that Notre Dame matchup? Yeah, it was. I mean, he comes off the edge, and it, it'll. I mean, comes off the edge in almost the exact same fashion. If you go back and watch that Notre Dame play to kind of to seal the game there, and then watch that sack where he forced the fumble uh, in that first quarter against Auburn last night eerily similar looking plays but he just he showed up and we had it wasn't just that play I know it was the only sack he had but he played really well against the run set in the edge played more discipline which he has not been doing of late which has kind of been my issue with him so I I, I want to definitely give some props to Devin Bellum he he earns it he deserved it man he played lights out played his heart out so big props to you man definitely appreciate you coming back Lorenzo I thought played really well Lorenzo hustles around all the time I mean, he, he's just a guy that just runs around like there, out there, like a, like a madman, hustles everywhere. Uh, that that fumble at first, I couldn't tell who caused that fumble. You know, in the fourth quarter, from the stands, at first it looked like it might have been Natrez, and then I thought, no, it looks like Julian. Then show the replay, and then I when I got home and watched the replay again, it looks like no, that's Lorenzo. Lorenzo gets in there, and gets that fumble, uh, just just running guys down. So I thought he played really, really well as as well. I thought DeAndre Walker, he saw a lot more time. Like you and I were both kind of calling for, right? Getting out there, and he responded very well uh, as well as Bellamy and, and Lorenzo there. So I thought outside linebackers played really well, just like uh, Roquan Smith there at the inside linebacker position. Uh, defensive backs, we, we saw a couple different looks out there. What did you make of the defensive backfield on Saturday? pretty solid i mean uh you know there was a couple penalties here and there but other than that overall they played really good coverage um, what do you make of that that pass interference call against uh baker on that first drive i didn't see the hook that they were claiming was there i, thought I, and I know i'm a homer i know I, I didn't see it either our guys have to have a chance to play for the ball i guess you i mean i i guess i might say it was borderline i guess you could have called it i probably would not have called it but, yeah, they set a precedent right there that it was we were not yeah. going to be able to play. I mean, at some point, you have to let defenders play defense. Because we're getting to the point now where you just aren't allowed to play defense anymore. Like, really? You can't, you can't, you can't hit quarterbacks in the head. I get that you don't want him in the head, but you can't hit him low. You can't touch it. You can't touch a receiver. I mean, it just you. You simply almost it's gotten to the point where you can't play defense. That's how it makes me feel at times watching some of these penalties that are these flags that are thrown left and right on defenders. It drives me crazy. Uh, but I thought the defensive backs played really well. We saw uh, we had a Richard LeCount siding, didn't we? Yeah, he played quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, he was coming in those third down dime packages like he was early in the season uh, when we had some of those injuries to Davis and, and Parrish. And I, I thought he played well. He, he didn't blow any coverages. And, and that's the concern when you put a guy, a, a young guy like that out there. You, you get concerned about him blowing a coverage in the back end. And if that happens, that's six with a quarterback like Jerry Sim. He didn't blow any coverage, just played well. He runs around like a, like a madman, kind of like Lorenzo does. He just hustles the ball and wants to hit somebody. We saw that late in the game against Georgia Tech. And he's going to be a major, major player for us next year, and, and at least for two more years. He might, he might only be here for three years. And then Malcolm Parrish, you know, didn't play. Tyree McGee, who we've been calling for for a couple of weeks now to get some more playing time. He played really well, had a big pass breakup. Thought he played very well. So all in all, the defensive backs played well, did some good things, didn't give up any huge plays down the field. They definitely did their job there. Uh, last thing I want to talk about here before we get into a little bit quick playoff discussion. Uh, so we went through the, the positions here, but let's talk about the coaching here. What do you make of 
the coaching staff as a whole, game plan-wise, motivation-wise. What do you want to say about the, the way our coaching staff got this team ready to play? I don't think you can say enough. I mean, I think they did a great game plan from a, every, every position group. I mean, uh, Cheney came out, called a great game. Uh, we were, you know, dialing up, mixing things up. Uh, Mel Tucker put together a great defensive scheme, had our guys ready. Um, you know, like uh, you could listen, if you listen to anything after the game, Raquan said, you know, we're really re- re- prepared that the game scheme and everything put together was great by the coaches. And I think I don't think enough can be said of what these coaches did to get our guys ready and put them in the position to be where they are today. I agree. Look, guys, our players are the ones that have gone there on the field and gotten this done, so they deserve a lot of credit and probably most of the credit. But we cannot overlook what this coaching staff has done. This team would not be where they are. I know we've got a lot of talented players. Roquan Smith, Javon was playing really well, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, Lorenzo Carr. we got all these guys. we got some great. we got some great players, a lot of them, a lot of talented guys. But we had a lot of these guys, same guys last year, right? And this year is a totally different story. We go from 7-5 and five to the playoffs. Seven and five regular season to the playoffs. All right, this would not have happened if it was not for this coaching staff and what they've done. Now the players had to buy in, but the coaching staffs laid the foundation to get these guys to buy in. It, it, whether it's Jim Cheney making the proper adjustments, learning from his mistakes the first time around the game plan, and and figuring out how to attack this Auburn defense, Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker doing the same thing defensively, figuring out we got to take the fight to them. Don't let them take the fight to us. Be more aggressive. Pressure them. Take them out of what they want to do. And then you got Kirby, man, who has his fingerprints all over this team. I mean, he's one of the, I mean, he, he probably he's he's completely a micromanager, no doubt about it. But uh, Kirby is a master motivator, and it was one of the things. I don't know if I said it on this preview show, but I was talking to some of my buddies. Yeah, I I I felt really. I normally I don't feel great about get, games coming, especially big games like this. I'm always nervous, expect the worst, uh, and hope for the best. But I I couldn't help myself on Friday night. I was just getting ready for bed. I I was getting giddy. I, I felt so good about this game, and a big part of that was Kirby Smart. I liked him in that spot where your team got embarrassed, all right, got embarrassed, or humiliated in a way that we shouldn't have gotten humiliated. But he was able to motivate these guys, get them ready, and have them ready to go and just take it to Auburn. So I liked Kirby a lot more than like Gus Malzahn in this in this setting. When you're looking for revenge like this, the last stop on the I guess the last stop on the Kirby Smart revenge train for this season. He's just the guy I'd want. He's the guy I want to get our team ready to play. They feed off of him. Now, Gus Malzahn's an offensive mastermind who can put together a game plan like he did in the first game. But he's not a guy that's going to get his guys fired up and ready to play and get them focused and get them ready to go and just really play and just focus on the task at hand. Kirby did that, guys. We adjusted. I want, And real quickly with Jim Chaney, I thought we already talked about the play calling, uh, being more balanced on first and second down. That And I know technically it didn't end up really mattering all that much as we, 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 blew, we blew them out. But that two-point conversion play call, that was a brilliant call. Did you notice what he did there? Yeah, he isolated them. But also, yeah. I mean, pretty much wherever the, the extra help went, they were going to go the exactly. other way. Exactly. We, we, we lined up in, in one look to start off with, right? And then we motion, we, we do some quick motion, kind of, again, taking kind of a play, uh, page from Auburn's playbook, and do some quick motion, messing with, with what the formation looks like. We have four guys out to the left, and you got DeAndre Swift behind us. What it looked like, you have three blockers in front of DeAndre Swift, right? So the percentage play is, oh, they're probably going to throw DeAndre Swift, got three blockers in front of them out there. They're going to block, and he's going to get two or three yards, right? Get the two points. Well, that does. They have to account for that, and you got man coverage on the outside there, on the on the other side, on the right side, which was Terry Godwin. We got Terry out there, and we all know how good Jake is at throwing those back shoulder fades, and how well, how well receivers have gone up and attacked the ball in those situations. 
So we get the touchdown or the back shoulder throw to the left side. Then the two-point conversion, we get with a back shoulder throw to the right side because we got man coverage. And that was completely dialed up by Jim Chaney. He was able to manipulate the coverage to drag them over to the left side of, of the line there and have Terry matched up one-on-one. Jake throws the back shoulder. Terry goes to make the play. Done. Two-point conversion. So just, just an absolutely brilliant call. Again, I know it didn't end up really factoring that much in the game. It could have, but it, it didn't, thank God. But just a, just a great play call. That's just one illustration. There's one example of of what he did all game long, just kind of put together what I think was a brilliant game plan against his Auburn defense. All right, uh, Kurt, let's quickly talk about the playoffs here, man. Obviously, we're at number three, heading to Pasadena to take on the Oklahoma Boomer Sooners, which I've been actually spending all day. I literally spent six hours a day getting all those plans in order, flights, hotels, all that junk, man. It's craziness. It's been a long time today, but it's all good now. I think I'm ready to go. Uh, but So we're going to Pasadena, Kurt. Did the committee get it right with putting us at number three? I mean, I think you could have put us at two or one. But I think there's no way we were going to pass up Clemson at this point. Um, and you're just picking straws at between the two or three. Yeah, look, honestly, here's my take. My wife said this. I'm going to give her some credit. She said this last night, and I agree with her 100%. And I tweeted this out today. I, I honestly think there's a legitimate argument that could be made that we should be number one. I really do. I, I don't know in what way Clemson and Oklahoma have better resumes. Than us. I, and I knew logically that we were not going to jump over them because they both won convincingly in their conference championship game. So we weren't going to jump from six to number one over both those teams when they just when my when Clemson beat Miami 35-3, Oklahoma, Oklahoma won what, 41-17. Realistically, we were not going to jump them. But I still think if you're looking at resumes, and that's really what it is about, if it's about resumes, I think legitimately we have a better resume than those teams. I mean, our loss, yeah, it was a bad loss, or it was a, it was a blowout loss, but that was on the road to what was the number two team in the country coming into the week. Uh, and then we got revenge against them, blew them out in the SEC title game in a neutral field. Then you have Clemson, who lost. It was on the road, but to a four and eight Syracuse team. And I know you can say all you want. Well, my quarterback hurt. Guys, their quarterback played for at least half that game. Played for half that game. Uh, and then they, yes, they beat Auburn. But they beat Auburn with completely without Carry On Johnson. They beat Auburn at home. I think it was by six, a touchdown, with no Carry On Johnson. The second week of the year, they beat a, a they beat a, a pretty good Virginia Tech team. I think it was nine and three, eight and four Virginia Tech. I think nine and three Virginia Tech team. NC State's an eight and four team. They won, beat them. Okay, it's a decent win. Florida State six and six. Okay, Florida State doesn't matter. So, I mean, Clemson's a really good team, but I, I, when you look at what we did, just destroying Auburn like we did, winning on the road at Notre Dame, got a win over uh, a ranked Mississippi State team, I, I think there's a legitimate argument. And, and also the fact that we just absolutely destroyed everyone we played outside of Auburn. I mean, seriously, outside of Auburn and Notre Dame, we dominated every team that we played. Now, Clemson, um, I mean, the, the Notre Dame game was the only game we didn't win by double digits. Yeah, it was the only game we didn't win by double digits, and that was with, with our quarterback in his first start, his first road start. So... I, if you look at that, and then Oklahoma, yes, they have a great win on the road and a pretty dominating win over Ohio State. So I'll give them that. That's a, that's a great win. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them. They're a really good team. Uh, but, you know, you win at Oklahoma State. Okay, well, Oklahoma State's a solid 9-3 and team. But then you you beat Kansas State by a touchdown. You be, you get by Texas Tech by about a touchdown. There are a lot of games they play where they didn't actually control these games against teams they that – Teams that I think I've read one had zero losses, two had one loss, or one had zero wins, and, and two had one win. Well, they, well, they, they, yeah, they have two conference games against Baylor and Kansas. They were both one win teams, both one win teams, and actually they, they only beat Baylor a one win team. I think by eight points. I think it was thirty eight thirty, if I remember correctly. I think it was one of the games that they they kind of snuck by. But they didn't, and, then, and they 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 beat a lot of teams pretty easily, but not every game in Texas. All right, a six and six Texas team they beat by by a, less than a touchdown. 
So they didn't dominate teams nearly like we did in any way, shape, or form. And yes, they have a great win at Ohio State, but we have a great win at Notre Dame, okay? We just destroyed the number two team in the country in Auburn in the SEC title game at a neutral site. So I don't know how you can sit there with a straight face and say that Clemson and Oklahoma truly do have better resumes than us. I think you can make a legitimate argument that we have a better resume than both those teams. Yeah, now, our yes, our loss was a blowout loss, but... Okay, Oklahoma, so is that blowout loss to a, a top 10 team in Auburn, is that any worse, and that was on the road, by the way, than a home loss to a 7-5 Iowa State team or a road loss to a 4-8 Syracuse team? Really? I mean, is that any worse? So, I mean, look, I'm not. we're in the playoffs, so I'm, I'm just happy we're in the playoffs, but I would have I would have really loved to have been in New Orleans because it's been a pain in the freaking butt to try to figure out the logistics to get to the Pasadena. It's a logistical nightmare trying to do this Pasadena trip, but... I don't know. I mean, I'm happy we're there, uh, but I, th- I think you legitimately could say that we could be that we should be number one there. That's just me. I, I, I know. Again, call me a homer. I probably am, but I'm trying to be realistic. I think I mean, I just laid it out there for. You. I think there's a legitimate argument to make that we could be number one. Anyway, we're in it. We'll be breaking this down the next couple weeks, guys. Trust me, we will have you 100% covered. But that's it for the show today. Uh, always appreciate you guys listening. I, I know it's not quite the end of the season here, but. Still- Pretty much. We've been getting into the college football playoffs here. But I just want to take a second and thank all of you uh, for taking time out of your week each and every week to listen to us. I know there's a lot of options out there to listen to. and It's just humbling. It really is. It's, it's completely humbling that we have even like 10 people listen to us. The, the idea that we have thousands listen to, listening to the show, that's, that's crazy to me. So I really appreciate each and every one of you listening out there. Uh, hopefully we can give you guys what you want. We do our best. I know we don't always hit that standard, but we, we give it our best job. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. It's awesome, guys. Got to keep chopping wood here. And as always, go dogs.